Hello, Edgar. Hi, Gregor. How are you doing? I'm okay. Nursing a cold, but I'm fine. Okay. <laughs> well, I hope you're gonna get better soon. I hope so too. Yeah, it's just a minor cold. So what are we going to talk about today, Edgar? We are going to be engaged in a discussion on what it means to be a psychoanalyst in the midst of patients who perhaps cannot do psychoanalysis. Oh, that seems uh, like there's a lot to say about that. Indeed. If you want to leave us a comment or questions or share with us your experience on uh, the subject or another subject, please feel free to leave a comment on the either Facebook, iTunes, SoundCloud, or Twitter, or directly to discussions on psychoanalysis at pm.me. My name is Grégoire Pierre. And this is Edgar Danielsen. Welcome to discussions on psychoanalysis. To allow our audience to have a better sense of what you mean by being a psychoanalyst with patients who can do psychoanalysis, could you give us an example? I guess most of our audience are or have gone through the experience of receiving for consultation a patient who explicitly expresses that they are looking for advice, for coaching, for something people may call mentoring and that they want some tools. That's a very common phrase that I have heard. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for some tools, how to live my life. And immediately one is faced with the reality that the person is coming to a psychoanalyst for something that the psychoanalyst perhaps is not able to offer. So I guess it raises first the question of do people know what it means for us to be psychoanalysts? In my experience, there is some limitations in terms of knowledge of what it means to be a psychoanalyst. So we are mixed with a bunch of other psychotherapists. So for patients, CBT, psychoanalysis, psychotherapy, psychodynamic psychotherapy, etc. All of that is just a mix of names that refer exactly to the same in their minds. We are healthcare providers. We provide something. That's an interesting phrase, and it's used by health insurance companies. We are providers. Therefore, the patients come to us in order to be provided something. Did you feel a distinction with, between people who got to contact you because you were on the list of the insurance website or people who actually look for, I don't know, maybe a Spanish-speaking therapist, maybe mm -hmm. a psychoanalyst uh, who's Spanish-speaking or other things that you offer mm -hmm. that they could be looking for? They definitely are looking for someone who is a person of color, someone who accepts their insurance and someone who does offer mental health services. So that's the umbrella. In, in network, usually you don't see a label that says psychoanalyst. That doesn't show up. On your website? 
In my website, yes, mm. but not in the health insurance companies. So outside health insurance companies, people come to me with very specific ideas in their minds regarding psychoanalysis. Okay. Though my experience has been that they don't distinguish between a psychoanalyst, a Jungian, a... I'm getting in trouble here. With <laughs> you mean a Jungian psychoanalyst? A, a Jungian psychoanalyst. <laughs> to be politically correct or open-minded. Yeah. I, I don't know yet. Yeah, or a human humanist, psychotherapist, someone who explores the unconscious. All of that is a little bit mixed. I was going to say messed up, but maybe it's the same thing. It's a little bit mixed in their minds. So what about you? You are out of network, so your experience will be perhaps completely different. Completely, I don't know. But I wonder if being out of network uh, indeed influences um, the fact that people are not looking for just a random provider. Yes. I know that people who are looking for me and people who I, at least people who contact me found me because they were looking for French-speaking psychologists. Yes. Mm -hmm. Most of the time psychologists, sometimes psychoanalysts. But again, I think in France, there is this understanding that if you're a psychologist, even if it's not completely true uh, in practice, you will be psychoanalytically oriented at least. Yeah, that's not the case in the United States. Yeah, I assume that if you're in network and if you don't have people who come from Argentina... Mm -hmm. I, it seems like maybe in other Spanish-speaking countries in America, they don't have that strong of a connection to psychoanalysis. No. Like there is a strong connection, I mean strong, relatively speaking, connection to psychoanalysis in France. Mm -hmm. So I would assume that the language thing doesn't necessarily lead to a research for psychoanalysis, which in my case... They are connected. I think they are. Yeah. yeah. I think being out of network and... Being French-speaking, the two combines are probably emphasizing my chances of having people who contact me who are already looking for psychoanalysis or something to talk. Yeah, no coaching, no mentoring, no advice. Or advice, but they know that it's not going to be a lot. They mm -hmm. have a sense that I'm not going to talk a lot. But yeah, I think they have this expectation maybe more. We have talked before about the reality that, in my case, a lot of people come to me because they are in network and I am close to where they work. Mm -hmm. So that's the most important variable. I can have lunch and once day a week, instead of lunch, I go to therapy. And since we talked about that, my experience changed because I had a few people who actually are now working with me who came because... They're I close by? Yeah. Oh, I, I guess you're narcissistically wounded now. It's about <laughs> the distance to their work. <laughs> well, you, you know what they say in kindergarten, you take what you get and you don't get upset, which I apply to myself from time to time. I remember something that I did in kindergarten, but I don't think this is the place to talk about it. No. <laughs> You're going to keep it for you on therapy. Okay. This okay. is not therapy. I'll do so. <laughs> So do you have a, an idea of a situation where are you, so that our audience can maybe relate or have a sense of comparison of when, without revealing anything of your patient, where you felt maybe some kind of frustration? We are going to spend some time trying to define what we feel in those moments where you could feel that mm -hmm. you were not practicing psychoanalysis or whatever it means, and we will go back to that. 
one example would be the extreme when someone comes for consultation and asks for something that I cannot offer. That would be specifically those cases when someone comes in and says, I would like to do CVT. Oh, you had that directly? Oh, yes, I've had that. And the person is clear that what they want to do is short-term CBT. And the consultation is very short because mm -hmm. then I express that I am a psychoanalyst. I offer a few ideas of what it means. Mm -hmm. And the person then may decide that that's not for them and move on. Okay, so that's the extreme case. That is the extreme case. Easy to decipher. Yes. They're really not looking for psychoanalysis. Correct. And they are not looking for psychodynamic. They are not interested in the unconscious, in doing self-reflection. They don't want any meaning. They want tools. Yeah, they want tools to live a better life. I would assume in those situations that there is less feeling of resentment or confusion. Like, it's pretty clear. It's clear. Absolutely. Let's move now to situations where it's not that clear. Someone comes to uh, for a consultation and the way I present myself in my website, I use a few metaphors here and there. Mm -hmm. And the person who reads that, some of them immediately have a connection to processing through metaphors and images. Mm -hmm. Even though my website does not mention Jung at all, mm -hmm. they may think that I'm a Jungian, which I am not. It's probably connected to somewhat the religious atmosphere. Correct. That's the other thing. My website is not religious at all, or I don't think it is. It, but you may, dis you may disagree on I this. May, <laughs> I may. <laughs> you may disagree. Respectfully. Well, let's define religion here. But, but some people decide to come for a consultation because somehow they think I will understand their religious faith. And that is another challenge for me. Yeah. Mm. And again, it's not necessarily connected to psychoanalysis. We are getting into more um, blurry water than just people who want to have CBT or advice or tools uh, mm -hmm. straightforward. And then we move to situations in which it seems like the patient is looking for psychotherapy or psychoanalysis. Mm -hmm. And yet it doesn't seem like we can actually provide psychoanalysis. Mm -hmm. Can you give us an example in your case? Well, this person wanted to be able to talk and you listen and you start to feel like the discussion is not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that you can grasp or very little. And then you're trying to push this person. I mean, I'm, I was trying to be push it a bit, be like, okay, so how do you feel about that? You know, try to engage yes. into some kind of self-reflection at least. Yes. And you can't get it. Mm -hmm. Then I was trying to understand what I was doing wrong. What was it that I wasn't able to understand coming from mm -hmm. this person? And all I could see was this person who was coming to session, but really like nothing would show up. First, I tried to be patient and then eventually I tried to push and the person left. In this case, are you referring to someone who had difficulties in terms of self-reflecting or you think there was something else going on? Speaking in very fortunate terms, the resistances were very strong. Mm -hmm. To what? I don't know. But my approach was inadequate. The patient's availability was not what I felt what was required for us to do psychoanalysis. 
And yet I still keep in mind that it might have come from me. Actually, we could say that most likely the way I were influenced the outcome. We know there are so many different school of thoughts. Yes. Means that we are talking about different patients or different moments within a therapy. My sense is it's very hard to grasp if the person was really not available to therapy or to psychoanalysis or if I wasn't practicing the right psychoanalysis. So what you were offering was not resonating with the patient. Yeah, you know, like for instance, you one psychoanalyst works as a Freudian and from an external point of view, you could actually realize that the patient needs a Lacanian approach, a random uh, uh-huh. example. It doesn't mean that um, the patient is not available to psychoanalysis. It means yeah. that the patient is not available to this specific psychoanalysis. Yes. You know. One thing that I, I'm evolving in terms of my approach to different patients and their different characterological structures is that my Freudian approach works very well with those who are in the neurotic side of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. But um, perhaps I have a different approach with people who are in the borderline or who have psychotic features. And it seems that if I have a more self-psychological approach, it works better for them. This is something I'm exploring nowadays. I'm still gathering and trying to understand how I work with them using a different approach. So, for example, looking at resistance or defenses from a self-psychological perspective is completely different. And some patients need that approach that is completely different from a Freudian one. So what do you think makes us feel that some patients are not ready for psychoanalysis? In my case, I think a lot about the capacity for self-reflection, the desire to go deeper into self-knowledge. And when patients have no curiosity about themselves, it's difficult for me to have any curiosity about them. Mm-hmm. In this situation, like we could wonder what part of it is fantasy and what part of it is reality. From my side or from their from side? From the psychoanalyst side. How do we determine that we know that a patient is not ready for psychoanalysis? How do we determine that what we think distinguishes a patient that is ready for psychoanalysis and not is part of our fantasy or part of the reality? Mm-hmm. How patient should we be with our patients? The word patient comes from the one who suffers. How much are we willing to suffer with a patient who suffering. I think one develops some capacity for suffering to tolerate the struggle, but I wonder for how long one is engaged in the struggle if we don't notice any change in the capacity for self-reflection, if we are really doing the patient a favor in engaging in a treatment that is not going anywhere. Is it not going anywhere where the only thing we can do is psychoanalysis? No, it's going somewhere even if we decide that what we're doing is, let's say, supportive therapy. Mm. We're just being there with a patient. The patient is somehow feeling more contained. The patient is engaged in conversation with us, perhaps not so much Mm self-reflection, but in conversation. If that's what the patient needs, I'm willing to do that with a patient. I think the challenge is when there is lack of capacity for self-reflection and at the same time, the patient does not engage. So there's nothing coming from the patient that I could hold on to. Mm. 
So it, is it a question of how we perceive ourselves through our work? Could be connected to our narcissistic interest from our part, feeling that we are helping someone. Mm -hmm. In that sense, you know, we need to ponder carefully what we understand by helping is what the patient needs as help. And also what kind of help? Because even within psychoanalysis, I mean, we could see that some people are very attached to make the unconscious conscious. Uh -huh. Or is it about sublimation? Is it about reintegration? Mm -hmm. I wonder if we might be here prepared, being trained in the Psychoanalytic Institute or um, like I was uh, in a university in France, to actually work with the complexity of what it means to be a psychoanalyst with patients who, in quote, can do psychoanalysis. During the training, we have plenty of opportunities to see the bubble explode. When we are in training, some of our patients become kind of a safety pin that gets very close to our balloon and we explode. I think they deflate our sense of grandiosity. Mm -hmm. My sense is that institutes tend to be quite grandiose in terms of what they offer. And what they want you to offer. Correct. So we are trained to remain in the institute and we only remain in the institute if the uh, powers that be within the institute see us as equals to them. Therefore, we will offer what they offer. So we need to present patients or situations that will reassure the belief system of the place we are being trained at. Correct. Though I have to say that there seems to be some split in terms of my experience. Mm -hmm. In classes, I find out that there's some orthodoxy. Things need to be this way. This is what psychoanalysis is. And in terms of my supervision, it's completely different. My supervisors seem to be more and more flexible, even though they come from different schools. They have been more open-minded than what I experienced in classes. And maybe your supervisors are maybe old enough not to give a shit. I think you're right about that. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, they've been in the field for many decades. So, yeah. yeah they don't care much about power. But there is something about power in a way. I mean, in many of the classes, it might not be tyrannical, but something that happens in groups where there is a legitimate discourse that is more or less understood by everybody in mm -hmm. the class. And it feels difficult to uh, separate from that. And so you don't want any trouble. You don't want to have to spend more time than you can explaining your position or what you do. I think I saw that many times. I think I probably produced that a few times. You produce uh, the discourse that the instructor wants to hear. Well, we look forward to being part of a tribe. Do we? It depends on the tribe. <laughs> Definitely. I know I want to be associated with some tribes, mm -hmm. not with others. There's a sense of belonging. Perhaps that's what I want to convey. And this is a very isolating profession. Let's go back to this theme. We have patients who come to us and they don't know what psychoanalysis is. They are looking for something completely different. And you are part of a tribe that you go back to where you belong. There is a sense of safety mm -hmm. going back to the tribe of psychoanalysts, whatever the label they put themselves on, because this is an isolating experience.
You know, for instance, one of the questions at NPAP that is never really, uh, it seems, uh, completely uh, resolved or answered is when you present your final case, you're supposed to present a psychoanalytic patient. The question is, what does psychoanalytic patient means? Yeah. Oftentimes, the easy answer is three times a week patients. Yeah. As if every time someone comes at three times a week frequency, it's going to be a psychoanalytic patient. I remember arguing in class and being not the only one arguing in that way that actually, from my experience, people who tend to come more are not necessarily engaged in what we would expect as a typical psychoanalytic treatment mm -hmm. because they come more not because they want to go deeper. They come more because they need more containment. Correct. And so you end up feeling the pressure that what you have to produce when you present your situations or your cases, as we say, you have to show a patient who is extremely sensitive to the way you work. Mm -hmm. I remember at some point uh, one of our fellow candidates who presented a story where the patient was uh, transformed by the interpretation of uh, our fellow students mm -hmm. and how the patient would rise from the chair and leave the office but looking back at the analyst would look so different and transformed and how the two instructors of the class were delighted by that it's a narrative. beautiful story. It is. <laughs> Did that ever happen to you? <laughs> no. It uh, never happened to me either. <laughs> not like that. But yeah, there are some... We have come to termination with some patients and there is a sense of satisfaction that we have reached something that is meaningful for the patient. But it's not a fairy tale. Yeah, what I mean is the need <laughs> from institute, uh, I mean, in general, you will always find instructors who are less uh, in need of that. But the general need for this kind of, as you say, like mm. fairy tale narrative yes. where the patient rises and like your interpretation just like completely blew up all the resistances and the patient mm. feels free. The patient is like, <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, it's terrible because in some ways it creates, and I think that's where the where we are in some mm. ways, heal prepared. And I remember getting out of university and feeling like I was trained to be a psychoanalyst in an office and all the work that was actually available at the time was a clinical psychologist in an institute. And it was very different setting with very different expectations. Mm -hmm. You don't have one-on-one -on -one, uh, the same way. You're expected to participate on groups, etc. So what happened is that with all those false narratives, actually the problem is that we are not spending time of the complexity of what we're doing and maybe also the disillusionment of what it means to practice psychoanalysis. Because mm -hmm. we read all those stories the, from the authors, like how they dealt with their patient. But when you read a, a psychoanalytic case, first you read what the authors uh, wanted you to read. Yeah, so all of them are embellished stories. Yeah. If you adhere to this embellished narrative, you are missing the complexity of what it means to practice mm -hmm. today, probably how it was, what it was to practice before also. And then we find ourselves sometimes wondering, feeling frustrated, mm -hmm. because we would want to do psychoanalysis. And the question is, do we have to? 
I guess. What actually does it mean? Practicing psychoanalysis all the time, is it actually the best way to treat someone? Are we dethroned from our place of psychoanalyst as soon as we don't practice pure psychoanalysis? I mean, we were making, I hope, a kind joke about a Jungian psychoanalyst, but some people might say, well, Jungian is, uh, is the psychoanalysis. Some people might say it's not psychoanalysis at all. Mm -hmm. Then the question is, what is psychoanalysis? Like even Freud at the beginning is not the Freud at the end. Kleinian have a somewhat different approach, yeah. uh, self-psychology also, you know, and relational also, Lacanian also, and I could go on and on. So, But what can you offer? I think that the other side of the question is not so much what we believe psychoanalysis is, but also in what ways are we engaged in offering what we know we can offer and not a fantasy. I cannot offer many things, but I can offer to be in a journey with a patient exploring the unconscious and fantasies and wishes and conflict and the ways the relationship between the patient and myself becomes a cauldron where the same issues that happen outside the room may crystallize in the relationship with the patient. That's what I can offer. So is that psychoanalysis all the time? Is this, is this called Freudian or something else? Perhaps that's not that important as much as uh, this is what I think I can offer. It's not as important now that we're talking about it, but mm -hmm. it's sometimes when we practice, it feels very important. All of a sudden, it's as if we had our needs were maybe not fulfilled, our yeah. ego ideal that is not reached. Yes. And also the question of maybe our narcissism and our ability to enjoy too much or not being able to sustain enough masochism. And to go back to the question of how patient should we be with our own patients? Mm -hmm. How long do you have to wait until you give up? Should we give up? How is it that we determine that there's no hope for a psychoanalytic treatment? Mm -hmm. And why would it be so important? I know that in the example I gave, what happened is that I felt like I couldn't sustain the relationship anymore. Okay. I, so... I, I remember I could feel that all my attempts were being disregarded. Yes. And as a person and as a clinician, I reached a place where I was out of options. Mm -hmm. But is this the only way to determine that to react? I don't think it's the only way. I think it is one of many. I have been with patients and we've worked for many years and we have reached an understanding that we have walked all the way that we could walk together. And But there has been some changes. The patient is pleased with what they have accomplished or they have achieved in their lives. And that's absolutely fine. Was that psychoanalysis, what we were doing? Yes, in the sense of analysis of defenses, finding meaning and self-reflection, so on and so forth. But was it the three times a week, lying down on the couch, things like that? No, not at all. Mm -hmm. But I offered what I could offer and the patient engaged with me in the process and it happened. I guess this is it for today. Indeed, this is the first part of a series of two podcasts on 
expectations, disappointments, and surprises uh, between analysts and analysts. Yep. So we, if you like the podcast, don't hesitate to give us five stars. And if you have questions, comments, reactions, just let us know. Yes, you can reach us on our Facebook page, uh, Discussions on Psychoanalysis, Twitter, or SoundCloud. Or directly to Discussions on Psychoanalysis at pm.me. Until then, see you next month. Until then, bye. Bye-bye.